Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome back to Mads World. I'm your host, Mads, and I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. If you have, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite listening platform. And follow me on Instagram, it's at madsworld.mp3. In this episode, I am joined by British social impact entrepreneur, Sarah Louise Ackrell. Sarah is a practicing therapist with a business background and was diagnosed with autism at the age of 38. She has since founded Wired Differently, a creative hub with products and services for neurodivergent people to help support them during the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. Wired Differently is powered by neurodiversity for neurodivergent people. You might be wondering what I mean by neurodivergent. Sarah summarises the term well on her website, saying, Judy Singer, an Australian sociologist, coined the term neurodiversity in the late 90s. It's used to refer to people with autism spectrum disorder and what used to be called Asperger's, ADHD and specific learning difficulties such as dyslexia. One in seven people, or 15% of the UK population, are neurodivergent. Specifically, one out of 100 meet criteria for autism and five out of 100 meet criteria for ADHD. People with these lifelong conditions tend to struggle socially, at home, school, in the workplace and in their relationships. But where the medical model looks for a cure, for a problem, the social model of neurodiversity acknowledges the qualities of neurodivergent people and proposes that if society would only accommodate people with different neurological makeup, then neurodivergent people would thrive. Up next, I chat with Sarah on how dating, sex and relationships look for autistic people, including typical assumptions, challenges, ideas, sensory needs and sexuality. Please note that we couldn't possibly speak on behalf of all neurodivergent people and this chat is based on Sarah's personal experience. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi. Um, I'm very excited to be doing this. Of all the topics, this is the one that I'd like to be talking about, I think. <laughs> I am so excited to have you on the podcast. So you are the founder of Wired Differently. So first up, could you tell me and our listeners a little bit more about the organization and the work you do here? Yeah, of course. Um, so um, at the base of things, I'm a therapist. Um, I'm a bit of an eclectic mm-hmm. therapist with an unusual background. So I work with people who are neuro 
neurodivergent and I'm also autistic with ADHD myself. Um, I have eight different projects. Um, one of them is public speaking, but I also work across, uh, I have an app in development. Um, there's also a clothing range in development. Um, and then there's various writing projects, training um, and uh, and writing training too. So, uh, and on top of that, I have 20 uh, or thereabouts coaching clients. So it's pretty busy. <laughs> So alongside all of that and your social entrepreneurship and your therapy and your coaching, you also mentioned to me that you are currently writing an ebook on what dating and relationships look like for neurodivergent people. So is there anything you can share with us about that and how that is going to look or come together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've uh, been writing something uh, called How to Stop Hurting Doing Life as a Neurodivergent Woman um, for Mm -hmm. many, many years, actually. But it's in the last 12 months that I decided that I would have a very significant part of that to do with dating, which obviously then Mm -hmm. impacts on things like intimacy, body image, uh, sexuality, gender, uh, you know, eating disorders and disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, it's interconnected, isn't it, with everything else that we do. Um, And sex is, of course, all about our life energy and and that is behind literally everything. Um, So Mm -hmm. even how we spend money, addiction, um, mm. how we seek fusion and, and we're sensation seeking people generally on the spectrum or especially on the ADHD side. So mm-hmm. so it's becoming, a, it's a bit of a life book actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sounds incredible. I think um, once it gets released, I'll have to link it to everybody who listens to and supports the podcast. So if you're looking forward to reading that, don't worry, I will make sure it reaches everybody listening. So I've asked you on the podcast today to chat about these sort of themes and um, I've divided our discussion into dating, relationships, sex, and support. So mm-hmm. obviously you can't speak for every neurodivergent person out there as everyone's experiences are so unique. But Very true. Um, I'm really I'm really looking forward to hearing your insights as an autistic person. So just to kick us off, I'd like to start talking about dating. So how do you personally select which people to date and how do you go about meeting people? Okay, well, um, like everyone else, I've got little uh, choice in the matter. It's very online, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, that's how things mm-hmm. are. I also work mm-hmm. uh, with collaborators, but pretty much alone and I work from home. So <laughs> the mm-hmm. old days yeah. of meeting someone in an office uh, or at a drinks party <laughs> after work have kind of dried up for us, haven't they? Um, yeah. How do I go about selecting people? Um, basically, uh, I look for someone who gets it, whether they know somebody mm-hmm. who is neurodivergent or they have uh, children who are neurodivergent or they are themselves neurodivergent. I have to say this mm-hmm. is this is recent because I always thought it wouldn't matter and I've come mm-hmm. to realize over the last 12 months, to me personally, it very much matters. And I would say the people I know, including my clients who are in stable relationships, they, they, they are with somebody who somehow gets it for a tangible reason. I think you can Mm -hmm. be open-minded and understanding, but still have no idea what neurodiversity means. And I think Mm -hmm. it can massively impact not only us, but our partners. Um, And so for that reason, personally now I'm choosing to, to try and date you know, people who are neurodivergent. I mean, I am, um, I am not in a regular, uh, relationship. I am dating Mm -hmm. openly at the moment. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) for marriage advice, you may need a different podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, don't worry. This podcast is definitely all about dating usually. So um, when you said in the last 12 months, is that is there something particular that has led that decision or has it been related to the pandemic? Or I mean, obviously, you don't have to share if it's completely personal, but yes, there's something that sort of guided that um, way of thinking. Yeah, um, I would say that so there's something that we do when we're on the spectrum and that, mm-hmm. well, there's many, many quirky things that we do. One of them is mm-hmm. we jump into relationships too quickly because we don't like the uncertainty of dating. Um, mm-hmm. And the other is we can fill in the blanks about people because, again, we don't like uncertainty and we can be mm-hmm. we can really convince ourselves we know somebody very well when we don't. And that actually was really brought home to me during the pandemic when I was building uh, a relationship on WhatsApp with someone. And I realized mm. at the end of the pandemic that I knew nearly nothing about them, but I'd given them my emotions and my loyalty and my emotional investment without actually, mm. you know, um, particularly getting anything back. Um, and, and that is not necessarily the fault of that person. Uh, it's it's the situation. And it, it just brought home to me Actually, neurodivergent people do this this filling in the blanks thing all the time, but it really mm. highlighted it during the pandemic when most people could only get to know someone online. So what assumptions might people make about dating an autistic person? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I, I just want to be clear on the level of crassness that we get leveled at us through through total ignorance and naivety and, um, mm-hmm. you know, nothing particularly bad inten- badly intentioned, but... I have in the last few months alone been told uh, I look too nice to be autistic. Uh, I look mm. pretty in my dress. I am too at a sort of cocktail party. Uh, you're so sociable. You're so confident. Uh, don't put yourself mm. down. Why do you have to label yourself with something? Surely we all get nervous. And I think the stereotype seems to be that we all have social anxiety or that autism mm-hmm. is anxiety. Um, yeah. Many, many people say you don't look autistic, uh, which mm-hmm. is something that lots of autistic people get leveled at them. And it's it, it's funny in our community as to the answers that we've learned to come out with over the years, because, I mean, yeah. what a thing to say to someone. <laughs> yeah. I think that there's the problem that autism and ADHD are hidden disabilities or hidden conditions. Um, mm-hmm. Not everyone relates to it as a disability. I do, as it happens, but I think mm-hmm. I think the problem is that we make the assumption that other disabilities are not hidden, and actually, I would say most disabilities are hidden. You can't look at mm-hmm. someone because you know, even if they're in a, a wheelchair, even if they're walking with a stick, even if they've got their arm in a sling, you still don't know what happened or what they struggle with. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Do you see what I mean? So. Yeah, yeah, so definitely. we have to get through a certain level of crassness, um, and mm-hmm. I think that people. I, I, the other the other week, I was chatting to someone online, and it mm. shut down completely when he said, uh, "I said to him, you, you do realize I'm autistic, right? Is is that okay?'" Mm-hmm. And mm. I think a lot of the time people hadn't haven't read your profile anyway, if I'm honest. I think it's very picture-based, yep. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is a big problem yeah. and you feel really invalidated. But this chap yeah. actually said to me, oh, well, I'm, f- I'm sure that it doesn't affect you that much, you know, otherwise you wouldn't be on something like this. And I was like, I- I'm yeah. really sorry. I just can't go any further with this conversation. Yeah, it's just like there's no depth to that. It's sort of, you know, he's just brushed over it when you've completely opened up to him type thing. Yeah, and, and you know, th- this is the, this is the um, assumption. It, 
if you were that mm-hmm. bad, quote unquote, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. I mean, that that is kind of the underlying thought. Oh Christ! And um, how <laughs> how quickly do you disclose that you have autism to someone on a dating app, or do you just go in straight away? Do you know something? I actually now have it on my dating profile. Um, I'm not saying I would advise that to people, but I would say. Uh, make reference to how you are in inverted commas Mm -hmm. and then it's for the Mm -hmm. other person to pick up on that because and I have to say I have never met so many nice people who I really get on with I'm not saying that everyone you meet you're going to want something romantic with or that you're going to be equally keen on everyone but I have never met so many nice people who get me and who I get and who are so genuine and so interesting and, and had so many very compatible dates. That's been really mm. enjoyable this year. Is that through dating apps? Yeah, through dating apps, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it is. Um, and I've, I, I think since my lockdown experience, it just hit me mm-hmm. so hard that I was essentially dating myself. And that yeah. the other person was not what I had made them out to be. Not not necessarily mm-hmm. good or bad, but I just knew so little about them. That was what was painful at the end of the 15, 16 month experience. I just sort of realized I, I've been dating myself. I, I actually yeah. know very little about this person. Everything that I've got out of this, I've put in and I might as well mm-hmm. have been talking to myself for 16 months. Um, yeah. And I think when someone's not ready for a relationship, it's easy for them to do that online, you know? Um mm-hmm because you, they, they don't have to feel particularly ready in order to just chat with someone and then you're under the impression they're super available. And I guess it can go one of two ways with online dating in that you give too much too soon, especially in something like the pandemic, and you get to mm. know each other too well before you meet or it can kind of go the other way. Um, that could be a positive thing or a negative thing, if you know what I mean. Mm. Or, or you feel you know them. I mean, how many mm. times, we've all done this, I think, how many yeah. times have you had a WhatsApp on your darkest day mm-hmm. and someone says something mildly amusing and you've replied with the crying laughing emoji (laughs) and you're there in your pjs four in the afternoon eating crisps (laughs) feeling crap you would not be getting out and going to a bar and and you're disproportionately overreacting to something which was pretty pretty normal with the crying emoji (laughs) laughing your head off you know yeah. yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> and it's actually so easily done. But if you mm. had to get dressed and go and meet that person, you probably wouldn't be sitting there crying, laughing. So, so you can true. literally give off emotions you're not having and you're mm-hmm. connecting with people who aren't necessarily feeling it. And mm-hmm. it's just made me very aware of our internal lives and our external lives not always being in sync. And I, I don't want to tolerate that anymore. <laughs> I think the pandemic has taught us so much about the way, like what we tolerate, like the people we speak to, the people who mean a lot in our lives and who you let in. And I think before that, it was sort of blurred lines that you'd chat to whoever, but we became really conscious of our time and where it was spent in the last couple of years, I think. That's very true, yeah. So what would you like neurotypical people to know about dating an autistic person? So I'd like them to know them, (laughs) the 84% um, of neurotypicals. I'd like them to know that um yes we are complex and yes we can be quite self-absorbed because Mm -hmm. we have a lot if you imagine inside yourself you've got you're taking in three to five times more information from your environment at any given time Mm -hmm. you've got loads of sensory stuff going on which means that you're very absorbed with all your senses all Mm -hmm. the time or you're sensory seeking because you're you're kind of in a state of being hyposensitive rather than hypersensitive. Either way, mm-hmm. you're being dictated to by your senses. Um, mm. 
So that's very absorbing. Then you've got uh, quite a contradictory uh, belief system whereby we tend to be known as, you know, uh, quite quaint, quite old school, Mm -hmm. nice old fashioned values. If you watch something like um, Love on Spectrum, which I'm a big fan of. um, I love that show. It's so good. I love that show. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, I want Jodie's job. I'm just putting it out there. But (laughs) (laughs) I want that job. But basically, um, yeah, if, if um, if you think about the fact that we're known as being quaint and old school, I have a friend who calls me Jane Austen. She says I'm like something out of a novel. But but then at the same time, we can be into, you know, not not necessarily monogamous relationships. We might be polyamorous. We might be into something like swinging. We might be into uh, something alternative or into mm-hmm. have fetishes. We might we might be really out there and really not what you expect, and at the same mm-hmm. time, really kind of prim and proper. I would say to neurotypicals, we're actually not that hard to get to know. You just have to ask us, uh, you know, how things affect us and and be prepared that we can't always articulate it because it is very complicated internally. Mm. And we also have a thing uh, where we don't, we have difficulties with our proprioception, which is quite literally knowing where our bodies are in space. Mm. Okay. Um, And this can actually make us feel very physically unsafe all the Mm -hmm. time. And we often need stuff that makes us feel safe. So, for example, uh, a lot of us are very attached to things like weighted blankets, which is a a blanket that is a 10% of your body weight kind Mm -hmm. of anchoring you. Um, Sensory stuff, skin brushing, uh, certain types of food. uh, We we, we have certain comforters. We have our Mm -hmm. routines they make us feel safe. We're not rigid. When we are with someone we feel safe with and we've come to trust, we can be witty and light and silly and childlike, but we can be very uptight, very rigid, quite melancholic if we mm-hmm. are not able to be ourselves. And the world is not built for us. So every mm-hmm. single thing we do, we are seeing through the eyes of people in a minority. And that is not us being oversensitive. That is mm-hmm. a reality. Um so yeah, don't be put off dating someone neurodivergent because we can be the most loyal, you know, really beautiful people, beautiful community of people. We can mm-hmm. enhance. We're so, we're very uh, we're very values based. We don't do things because they are what is expected. We do things because we really want to. If we mm-hmm. hang out with you, we really want to hang out with you because we would be so good on our own. We don't get together with people because we're uncomfortable necessarily in our skin. We get together with people because it's even better than being alone. I mean, that is the biggest compliment you can pay someone when you're autistic. That's lovely. (laughs) Um, You said something really, really great to me in the lead up to this conversation. So um, it was something you said about uh, the priority for neurotypical people, the priority for them to know it's about how you feel and not what you look like. And um, just because you can't see something doesn't mean it, it doesn't affect you in every aspect of your life in every possible way. So can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I think this is common to people with all kinds of disabilities that are not mm. obvious, um, which, as I said, is, is many of them. Um there seems to be we, we this is the thing another another reason i'm so interested in our internal lives versus the ones that we live when we pass our front doors because what kind of world are we living in where we invalidate somebody to the point where nothing they feel matters because they look fine mm. and 
that's just so insulting, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that relates to all kinds of people as well. Like if somebody seems fine, yeah. it's just about getting to that next level of, level of depth and understanding of just humans and understanding that people might have more going on below the surface. Yeah, this is it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always surprised. What is the risk we're taking, really, that someone might lie to us and say they're not okay when they secretly are? Mm. Like what yeah. really? Do we think someone would have the time and the inclination to that do that? That is so true. <laughs> it yeah. does it does feel to me often like the biggest thing we're worried about is our egos might get a bashing that someone leads mm. us on that they're not okay when actually they secretly are. And I don't think like the rarity of that. <laughs> who would do exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And the, the 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 fact that we're so frightened of this just tells me we have a really fragile ego because mm-hmm. really if that's the worst that can happen to you, then we we we're okay. You know, our life is good. <laughs> <laughs> so you also touched on their autistic people's sensory needs. And I'm just wondering, yeah. I was gonna um, ask you about this later in the support section of the podcast, but I think now that we're touched on it now it'd be good to address so what are the best ways that people can support a person with autism sensory needs and um, how do these need to be recognized and addressed okay so we have hyper and hyposensitivities as i've said so mm-hmm. everyone will be very different but the principle remains the same um we have needs which are not petty so if i'm used to having a weighted blanket at home and I'm going away, don't expect me to not take it with me because it looks childish that I have a weighted blanket with me. Like, I don't suddenly unvelcro my autism from myself when I pass my front door. <laughs> you know, it's things like that. Yeah. Um, I had a partner who was really bothered by the fact that I put on ear defenders when we went to the airport. We'd had a blazing mm-hmm. row before we got to the airport, which made me even more sensitive. Mm. Um, and I was feeling pretty psychologically unsafe anyway, because as I've said, we feel very unsafe a lot of the time. And so my sensitivity, just like when I'm tired or stressed or whatever, it was through the roof, you know. So I had my ear defenders on and, and I could see through the whole trip he was just dying of embarrassment and thinking, God, when my when my parents pick us up the other side, please take those things off your head. I could just mm. feel that was what he was feeling and thinking. Um, yeah. But it's kind of weird. It's like behind closed doors, you have strategies, but they have to then leave the house. I mean, I can walk around the supermarket with sunglasses on because the you know god awful lighting in those places i go to somewhere like boots and i literally dissociate it's just like I, the yep. amount of meltdowns i've had over the years in boots is just like insane <laughs> um and it's the same in offices for people and it's the same with employers they also expect us to unvelcro our autism and our neurodiversity from ourselves oh, at god. the door yeah uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? This is why yeah. um, my company is is developing a, a, a nationwide network of homeworking positions because mm-hmm. um, I'm just so appalled by the way that the working world is going and the fact that it excludes more people than it includes. So yeah. to answer your question, it's about just accepting that we have these needs. We're not being mm-hmm. babyish. We're not making a point of, hello, I'm autistic here with my mm. you know, headphones on or my blanket. If we have to listen to you while we're scrolling on our phone, don't assume the worst. Some people, mm-hmm. it's the only way they can connect to what you're saying is by squeezing putty, scrolling their phone or something at the same time. Um, yeah. You know, if you're running a training session or or whatever, like don't assume the worst is something that comes up. Whenever I get adv- asked advice about, you know, dealing with neurodivergent people, as it were, 
Mm. I often come down to just don't expect the worst or don't, don't, don't think mm. the worst of us. You know, if we're doing something that's bothering you, just say, why are you doing that? Well, because it's comforting me. And I guess it's just like being empathetic with, with anyone again. It's just ask. If you don't know, just ask. If you don't know, just ask and also mm. question your ego because if yeah. it's that bothering to you that somebody next to you has headphones on or something, then, and you don't want to be seen with with the girl with the ear defenders on or whatever, mm. then, you know, because you think that looks too, I don't know, special school or something in inverted commas, mm. then, well, I'm sorry, but this is who you've chosen to date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> love me, not love my ear defenders is the, definitely the motto. <laughs> what is an ear defender? What does it look like? Ear defenders, they're kind of like, uh, they look like modern day headphones, fortunately, because in the past when everything was tiny, um mm. they looked really obvious but now people generally think i'm listening to music and they're like oh what are you listening to and i'll be like well nothing <laughs> silence oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah they, they look like really kind of chunky headphones so nowadays you can pretty much look okay i guess if the person knows they're related to autism and they're particularly sensitive about sticking out then it could be more of a thing that kind of leads into my next uh question about challenges so how mm-hmm. does dating differ for autistic people alongside sort of trying to find a level of understanding with that person. Um, What are the other particular challenges that people with autism might face when starting a new relationship or down the track in a developed relationship? Yeah, what are sort of of some of the challenges here? I think on a personal level, uh, we often struggle with the fact that by by being autistic and ADHD and and having associated conditions, we can feel broken because we've often had life paths where we've Mm. had a disproportionate amount of bullying. Um, here in England, uh, we have a, something that I know the French always used to call the English disease when I lived there. Um, school bullying is a massive problem here and yeah. even more so for people who are neurodivergent. Um, we take that into our lives and we feel broken. So I'm very lucky in the sense that I'm classed as a social impact entrepreneur, I run a business based off mm-hmm. everything that I've ever been through. So it's incredibly cathartic as well as, you know, doing well and, and touching people. And, and I get a lot of messages saying, Thank you for setting up Wired Differently. Just discovering you, just reading your website has made me feel validated. And, and that's beautiful. Aww. But most people don't get that. Like they might yeah. be neurodivergent, but they might be an accountant or they might be neurodivergent and I don't know, run a writing school or hairdressers mm. or um, they're not being told and fed back to every two minutes on on, mm-hmm. on neurodiversity. It's, it's another bit of them that they're wondering whether to mention or not. Mm. Um, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So I guess for a lot of us, there is shame. Uh, there is, well, if people say they can't see it and it doesn't impact them, why should I bother telling them? But then if I don't tell them, they're going to say that I kind of shortchange them one day when I say, well, actually, I'm autistic and this is why I behave in these ways. I, yeah, so I think that on the one hand, we feel pretty broken and we're sort of going to someone saying, oh, I'm a bit broken. Is that okay with you? Which is not mm. a great way of starting a relationship. Yeah. Um, so on a personal side, we have to get comfortable with articulating. Do we want to say I'm autistic? Do we want to say I'm neurodivergent? Do we want mm. to say uh, I am autistic? I have autism. Mm. Uh, I have Asperger's, I have Asperger's, like, do we, we have mm-hmm. to get comfortable with how we're going to say it, when we're going to say it, what it means to us. So we have personal development work to do. But on mm-hmm. top of that, there's also a lot of dating happens in restaurants and bars, very noisy environments. A lot mm. of people on the spectrum have eating issues. Um, personally eating out has always been a massive thing for me almost obsessional uh, I will wake up in the morning and research the next restaurant I'm going to mm-hmm. the other reason that lockdown was hard we had no restaurants and bars to go to someone ever says to me come for a social walk I just want to smack them because it's probably <laughs> the hardest thing for me to do yeah there's no structure at least in a restaurant I know someone's gonna come and say hi guys let me get you a menu and then they're gonna yeah. come back and take a drinks order like there's a structure yeah it's very familiar isn't it it's this it's the same every time isn't it <laughs> every restaurant it's gonna be pretty much the same thing and I yeah. love that <laughs> Um, yeah. come for a walk with me. I don't know where this walk is starting, where it's ending, how long we're walking for, what the sensory stuff's oh going to be God. on the way. The stress. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do I look you in the eye when I'm talking or when you're talking? Because I have mm. to do that a bit. Because if I don't, you think I'm weird, even though for me, it <laughs> makes me feel really uncomfortable. So yeah. So a yeah. lot of dating takes place in sensory difficult environments. Um mm. And lots of variables as well. Lots of things. Lots that can, and lots of variables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Eighty um, percent of people on the spectrum have a mental health condition such as anxiety, which mm-hmm. is because we can't bloody see what we're doing most of the time because we're <sighs> so blind to so many things. Um, mm-hmm. It is quite literally like uh, somebody blindfolds you and says, "Go into this strange room," and you keep bashing yourself against the furniture, and you get all oh the redolent God. bruises, and you're like, "Oh, that's where that piece of furniture is." Okay, I'll try not to bump into that again, and then you do. Yeah. That is what life feels like when we're autistic, and uh, or mm-hmm. at least it does for me. That's how I would describe it. So, 
Mm. I think on top of that, a lot of us are sexuality fluid, gender fluid. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of us definitely see the person rather than the gender. Um, Mm -hmm. And not everyone in our community is monogamous, far from it. There's a lot of people who are into uh, swinging or maybe having a committed relationship with occasional uh, times where you open up to other people. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is more and more accepted in society, but it's not the norm still, of course. Mm. Um, and it's certainly not supported by, you know, a lot of uh, religious practices or things that other people might have come to see as their kind of modus operandi um, and their education and what their parents have led them to believe. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of conflict there in terms of our values. So, yeah, I would say, you know, you can see why this is hard, right, Maddie? Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot going on here. And this is why I'm so happy to be talking about this, because there is no sex in the city for neurodivergent women. And I would love love a strand. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see what I mean? I would love there to be a strand of uh, Wired Differently, which is all about sex and relationships. So I'm actually going to be training as an intimacy coach this coming year. That's one of my New Year's resolutions. Um, I've been doing some sex ed with youngsters on the spectrum because Mm -hmm. they are far less likely even than anyone else to be getting sex ed. And let's face it, not many people were getting it anyway. Um, And I'm doing a a hosted meal and uh, in central London and the the ebook and a workshop, which I'm co-hosting with my coach, uh, Susan Issa. So, um, yeah, so a whole strand of the business is going to be taken up by sex and and intimacy and relationships. But, yeah, I I want this funky. I mean, personally, I would not watch Sex and the City right now. It it makes me cringe. But if I think of me me 20 years ago, loved it. And I want (laughs) to have that feeling again. But I'd love to see three or four ND women that would just be the coolest it would be so honest now that you've got all these qualifications and all this work I think you need to write it you need to make this show for neurodivergent people I don't tell any of my investors that because they already (laughs) think that I'm crazy and have way too many projects on the go. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to hate me for saying that because you're like, yeah, no one. I'm not sending this link to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, I can't wait to watch that when it comes out. (laughs) Um, So, what are some date ideas that could be enjoyable for autistic or neurodivergent people? And I guess this is going to be quite a personal choice or personal recommendation recommendation for what you like. And I know you mentioned that you like structure and um, restaurants because it kind of has that familiarity to it. Is there anything else that you think could be a good recommendation for people? From where I'm concerned, I think I'm suited to dating. It's very me. I come, Mm. come from a luxury hospitality background in my first career. So I'm fine with all of that. That's the bit I can do. I can do the mm-hmm. restaurant. It's when you get a few dates in and you start feeling something for someone or, or intimacy mm-hmm. where that, that was my challenge. But I would say as a general rule, um, doing something and where you can be alone together is ideal for many, mm-hmm. many neurodivergent people. So I'll tell you something really sad. My dream mm-hmm. is to meet someone who I can just read b- behind. Uh, sorry, who I can just read next to. So Aww. my my dream is to meet someone I can literally just sit there with and read. That is my that absolute romantic. <laughs> yeah, it's like sod the white dress. I just want to get a book and sit. And I, I actually had a friend recently who married 
her partner in Nicaragua and Mm -hmm. one of the things that they love doing together is just lying there and reading and I'm like that is goals oh my god that is so goals (laughs) it is right and why is that so hard like why can we why can we send someone to the moon and and not (laughs) not not meet regularly partners where we can do this (laughs) seriously I think you need to just put this in your dating profile and write I just want someone I can lay next to and read don't talk to me just read next to me (laughs) well you're you're clearly into this too I think there's a thing here this is like a a fetish perhaps but it's (laughs) it's just so I had a friend recently who said to me what you've never found that like I mean most of my friends know that I'm obsessed with books and books make me feel safe Mm -hmm. um but yeah I just find it hard to let go because you know we have all kinds of quirky stuff going on so when we're around people we have this thing it's a bit like uh it's a bit like emotional bluetooth that switches on Oh and my it's God. constantly I love scanning that. our environment for threats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, emotional Bluetooth. And it's exhausting. Mm. Emotional Bluetooth. It is exhausting. So I have a lot of clients who are, because of reasons of finance, living with other people. And actually, mm-hmm. if they had the money at the moment, they would live alone because neurodivergent mm-hmm. people, that is pretty advisable a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can make great parents if we're single parents. We can make great partners if we don't have children. Like Balancing mm. all of it is something that a lot of neurodivergent women do and then get very close to burnout very often because they're balancing multiple roles at once. But for reasons of finance, lots of people are living with people. So our Bluetooth is constantly switched on, We even if they're in the same building, let alone the same room. So we can't mm-hmm. switch off, we can't feel safe, we can't relax. So relaxing mm. with someone is like the holy grail. The holy um, grail. So yeah, so mm. in order to, where you would think it would be a minimum, right, in a relationship, relaxing with someone, you would think that is the bare minimum. That's, that's how sad this is. But um, in terms of dating somebody uh, who is on the spectrum, if they can do something together but alone with you, that is like heaven. So, for example, mm. uh, if you go and do galleries and things together, you don't have to look at each other in the eye. You can be side by side. You have mm. a focal point which you're sharing and enjoying together, mm. but it's not necessarily intense. Mm. You can play video games together. You can go and see a show where there's less emphasis on maybe conversation throughout the activity. So you could desensitize while you're enjoying activity and then maybe debrief afterwards where you're having your social time. Mm. Um, You could go and do something that's absorbing, uh, like, I don't know, you know, archery or pigeon shooting or Mm -hmm. uh, whatever. You could just be together and and side by side, but not necessarily this one-on-one. I mean, bless them, but when you look at love on the spectrum, what are you doing? You're taking people who are neurodivergent, you're sitting them opposite each other, teaching Mm. them how to be neurotypical, how to ape everything. Then they're having burnouts because they didn't know if they performed well enough. It's actually not natural. Mm. What that program should have done is had people just Mm. go off and do activities together. Um, You know, it would have been a lot more representative of what people on the spectrum need when they're dating. Because also the whole point of it is to get to know someone. Well, this is the thing. I think neurotypicals can learn from that too because dating Mm. is very much... Dinner and drinks, and as I've said, I'm the first person to love that. But when you really think about it, what are you really seeing of that person having dinner mm. and drinks? Yes, you get to see that they weren't a complete asshole to the waiter. Okay, tick. <laughs> uh, yes, you get to see they split the bill and they didn't have to do the macho paying for everything and they didn't have to not pay anything. Like everything mm. was 50-50. Okay, great. But mm. it's very minimal if you want to spend time with someone and give yourself to that person on a on an exclusive basis. 
Mm-hmm. You're offering up something pretty serious, and how do you do that off the back of dinner and drinks? You literally so have seen five percent of that person. I love going for an activity as like a first date because you can see if it's something like mini golf, you can see if that person like how they react under pressure, how they do yeah. in terms of like competitiveness. Like I love doing something like that. And in somewhere like London, there's so many things you can do. Like you can do axe throwing, you can do golf, you can do a cooking class, you can go and see live music. Like there's so many different things you can do. And I think um, yeah. especially coming out the pandemic, it's just such, such a fun way to like spend your time because if you're stuck on a date with someone and you're just having a drink and you're kind of like sitting there and you're a bit bored, you know, of yeah. course that's going to be boring with someone you don't know. It's very like a job interview, you know. It's not – dating's yeah. supposed to be fun and if it's not fun, like you're not doing something fun, like it's it's going to be boring no matter what. It's true and a lot mm. of my clients will say at some point in their therapy and coaching journeys, you know what, we're the ones that are supposed to have social and communication issues and yet mm. some of this stuff makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we can be so quirky and witty and engaging. We can we can be great, but we don't play the neurotypical game. Mm. But as I said, I don't think a lot of neurotypicals are getting much out of that either. Yeah, that is so true. It's kind of like when you really step back and look at it and look at the rituals we do and, you know, look at um, meeting up with a stranger from a dating app and just sitting right in front of them, staring into their eyes and talking about you know, your family or, you know, what you do as a job. It is such a strange thing, like a strange concept, isn't it? So it is kind of good to take a step back and analyze why we do what we do. Yeah. And also I I did have a friend say to me, I've had, my friends have been very useful this year in the sense of pointing stuff out to me that I just hadn't seen about how I was approaching dating. So, Mm. um, because of the sensory stuff, a lot of people on the spectrum will, so some people hate sex. Some people hate being touched. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might be asexual. Um, some people love sex. They love the sensory stimulation. They can even mm-hmm. use it as a coping strategy in the same way as you would uh, drugs or alcohol or overspending. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can use it to relieve tension or anxiety. Uh, and, and also there's that existential thing of being very separate in life and desperately wanting to fuse with someone and just lose yourself in that other person. So we all have mm. that existential stuff. Mm. But I think... Um, I think that when it comes to dating, we have to get a lot better at asking the right questions. We have to we have to have our behavior match our intentions. So if we're jumping into bed with people, but we want something meaningful, it is not through sex you're going to find out if that person cares about you. It just isn't. It's such 100%. a naive interpretation, you know, and mm. you can feel that something is super meaningful and actually it's just super sensory. Yeah. God, I... I'm learning so much. This is one of my favorite podcasts I've done. I'm really, Thank really you. enjoying listening just, to you. I, well, I'm just really glad to um, have the chance to say stuff that I hope someone will listen to and go, oh my God, that makes sense. And now I'm going to go yeah. out and I'm going to date the way I want to date and I'm going to own who I am. And, and if mm. people don't like it, then the one that likes it will be there and and I'm and have more hope, you know, because we can feel really Absolutely. hopeless. Absolutely. So moving on from dating just into relationships. So apart from mm-hmm. finding someone you can read next to, what does a <laughs> successful romantic relationship look like for um, an autistic person or a neurodivergent person? So I think that um, we're very loyal people often. We, we make good team players. So I think mm-hmm. seeing things as a, as a, seeing a relationship as a project, um, protecting what is there at the centre 
going off and doing your thing and coming back to base and checking in with each other it, that that mm. mixture of autonomy and 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 bonding would be would be great um again doing the personal development work on ourselves to check in with you know where do we need to work on ourselves because we do and unfortunately you know how sex therapists they'll always say actually i talk about either a lot of bad sex or stuff that's not related mm. to sex at all because mm-hmm. sex problems and relationship problems are where other stuff surface yeah other other issues will surface because you know where did we first learn what relationships look like we learned it from our parents and caregivers uh, mm-hmm. we learned it from significant adults in our lives um mm. where did we learn some of our values from well a lot of it we have learned from the media like it or mm-hmm. not and and whether we realize that or not uh i remember i grew up with some really warpy thoughts i remember a, a guy kissing me when i was at, or a little boy kissing me when i was at primary school and mm-hmm. i spent months thinking that i would have to kill myself because i couldn't get married at that age kissing a boy at that age is really wrong and if wow. i can't get married to kind of balance that out i might as well die like i don't even know where mm. that came from but we yeah. we take things to the nth degree when we're mm-hmm. neurodivergent and mm-hmm. It, it can have really dramatic consequences. In terms of a successful romantic relationship, you'd say like a safe space to kind of work together as a team. Yeah, a safe space to to be, again, it's this idea of being alone together. Yeah. Um, it is a huge compliment when someone who's neurodivergent uh, wants to spend time with someone because often we love our interior worlds. We have very rich inner worlds. We don't want for other people a lot of the time this is why we can appear quite self-absorbed because I think people on the mm. outside feel sad sometimes that they can't have an effect on us or they can't hang out with us or they find it frustrating. Mm. And it can, when you're around someone who's super self-sufficient, it can ha- give you the feeling of being really unneeded and unloved. But actually mm. that's our egos um, and we need to check in with that. Yeah. And then I think also be more open to interpretation because neurodivergent people are far more likely to interpret relationships in a very different way to the norm. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, a lot of couples will have their own bedrooms and they'll they'll literally have hookups in each other's bedrooms, but they'll mm-hmm. have separate environments. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people on the spectrum will have things like OCD uh, or they don't want their stuff being touched. They need an environment where they, they in one room of the building, of the house, of the flat, they control everything. Mm-hmm. Pe- there are people that need that. So if you have a couple's bedroom, I've never understood that concept. You know, I used to live in Paris. The average couple in Paris live in something like 25, 30 meters squared. Yeah, you that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, no wonder they're all having affairs, right? Because <laughs> literally, unless you're going to go other. and sleep in the shower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> unless you're going to go and sleep in the shower or the sink. And that whole thing about getting pissed off with someone and turning your back to them and having that eight hours of broken sleep where you hate them and they hate you. And like, I don't want that, you know, just go to your room. Yeah, it's toxic, (laughs) but it's what most people are doing. And we need to give each other space, but not Mm. feel that that means we don't love each other. That's not the same thing. Again, it's just like taking a microscope to why we do the things we do. It's just the norm, but why, you know, it's just, it's so fun to (laughs) analyze what, you know, why we do what we do. It's just because everyone else is doing it, you know? Yeah, we like to feel, and, and you know, a lot of neurodivergent people, we've mm. not met the same social milestones at the same times as other people mm. in their lives, if we have met them at all. Mm. So for us, it's uh, it's about saying, well, we've never really done stuff the way everyone else does it, so why should we try doing this the way everyone else does it? I guess it's um about finding someone that, 
you can explore that with and you can do it together and you can find out what each other needs and what each other wants together as a team. And that, Absolutely. That's just I think mm. uh, totally. I think see it as a creative process. It is not prescribed. Mm. And it could be fun, I suppose, in a way, although it has its challenges, it can totally. be fun to learn about another person and, you know, ad- learn to adapt your life to coexist, which is kind of what, you know, it's what everyone has to do in a relationship. I think that's completely true. I think just see mm. it as you feel something in you. I mean, I honestly, it took me a while to understand I wanted to meet someone because I'm so mm. good in my own skin. I couldn't work out, apart from the obvious, like mm. there's, you know, we can't we can't sexually satisfy ourselves 100% sadly but apart from the <laughs> obvious like most of the things we can do out alone and we're pretty happy doing it we mm. don't you know a lot of neurodivergent people we don't really feel lonely it's not been very often in my life i could say honestly mm-hmm. i felt lonely mm. um i can go weeks without seeing people and and i'm fine yeah but that doesn't mean i don't love people deeply and i don't care about them i just want to live parallel to them and look at them through double glazing that's yeah. how i would rather exist um yeah so i think see it as a creative process and i think if you have a neurotypical partner they would probably really appreciate challenging the status quo and being like mm. why why do we have one bedroom why don't we make the other room a, a bed why don't we make the the you know the dining room that we never use a bedroom or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. why don't we do stuff differently because why not? otherwise you have a neurotypical person following convention if that's their thing i'm not saying every neurotypical person is a slave to convention but mm. you've got the neurotypical person probably more likely to see the status quo and you've got the neurodivergent person making themselves ill literally over the fact that they're trying to be something they're not yeah when actually neurodivergent thinking can massively benefit everybody i love that i'm le- i'm again i'm learning so much and I, I love this chat um so we we briefly touched on um sex and sexuality earlier so mm-hmm. when a new relationship becomes a sexual one for an autistic person is approaching this yep. very different to a neurotypical relationship or is it quite similar can you tell me more about this i think this is where you need to get comfortable with asking questions and it's a bit mm. like using a condom if you can't have the condom question why are you going to bed with that person and, so true and it's the same do you know what i mean yes. like <laughs> it's kind of pretty intimate what you're about to do but you can't talk to them so true it's like if like yeah if they're not man enough to have that conversation why are you having sex with them uh, yeah and and there are men who will bring up that subject and the woman mm. might not find it romantic but i'm sorry but you know blind faith in a total stranger is mm. not what you call romance we're adults <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think it's the same when it comes to approaching the subject of sex mm. um there are lots of neurotypical people uh, sorry neurodivergent people who would not appreciate you going in for a hug i have to say i am a huggy person mm-hmm. and i naturally feel it's generous to approach someone that you have an affinity with and go in for a hug and mm-hmm. even i have to remind myself there's a whole load of people that do not like that it's come out of the blue for them they weren't prepared with a re- reply mm. uh we also have this thing called rejection sensitive dysphoria which i like to talk about when i do podcast interviews because it's the dark side of adhd and it's very mm-hmm. dangerous so 99% of people with ADHD have this thing called RSD. And um, if we experience or perceive rejection, and it might be um, overt rejection from a person, or it might be more of a sense of not belonging generally, which mm-hmm. when you're in a minority is often the case, you don't feel like you belong anywhere. Of course, yeah. You can go from feeling perfectly fine and balanced to suicidal in, in, in the space of hours. And then you can feel mm-hmm. literally like your insides of smashed glass. That's hard. It's physically painful it's emotionally painful you're then full of shame 
that you even have, even if this happens behind closed doors and no one can see, mm. you're then full of shame, which can last like the week. Uh, it's a long process getting yourself back from an RSD, well, attack, as I would call it. Mm. Um, so imagine you're neurodivergent, you hate being touched, or at least you need some warning. Someone goes in for a hug, you freeze, you go nonverbal because you don't know what to communicate. You feel like mm. you might sound weird. You feel the person might not respect you or look at you in that way that says, okay, you're a bit odd. Mm. Just that look alone is enough to send you plummeting. God, yeah. It's so it's hard. Like, the consequences could be pretty serious, you know? Yeah. Um, whenever I've had an RSD attack, I had one uh, in September, which was after the most beautiful wedding you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Like, if there was a a point where you would never have felt that someone could feel from zero to 60 on suicidal, yeah. it would be after a beautiful wedding. I'm sorry that happened. Yeah, mm. thank you. I mean, mm. it, RSD is, is, is a bitch. Um, mm. it, is, it is, you know, for everyone that says, oh, you're so ADHD, uh, what they mean by that is you're a bit of a squirrel brain and a bit creative and a bit quirky. And that's wonderful. I love all yeah. that stuff. When yeah. you learn to harness it, the proverbial superpower is a thing if you can harness it. If not, it is super destructive and RSD is a bitch. Like mm. that is that is certain. So yeah, so to bring up the subject of sex then, I think that be, with uh, with autism being a social and communication developmental condition as opposed to a mental health condition, which is what most people think of it as, um, it is very important to talk about sex because sex is very sensory. It is very impacted by social and communication abilities. Mm. Um, so just talk it out. Just say, what do you enjoy? What do you not enjoy? Do you even know? There are many, many people that because of their social and communication difficulties, they might be in their late 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s. They may not have had a relationship. They may mm. have not had sex. You know, they may have lost their virginity much later than the norm. Yeah. So just be open minded again. I think a lot of it is just ask the right questions. Trust the person that if they say something isn't comfortable, it doesn't matter what they look like, it isn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. Don't assume the worst and just get to know them. You mentioned something as well about a lot of the assumptions that autistic children's parents have about them in terms of their sexuality and maybe parents mm. assuming that their children are asexual and how dehumanizing this can be and how this can affect uh, their access to sex education. Can you tell me more about this? I yeah. found this really interesting and really sad, to be honest. And I think it's something that yeah. a lot of people need to need to hear. Yeah, of course. So um, there is a wonderful woman over in Australia called Heather Morrison, who runs a company uh, which was formerly known as Handy, and it has now changed names. Uh, she is in the sex tech industry. She's fighting for She's a social entrepreneur and she is uh, fighting for the recognition of the sexual needs of people with various disabilities, mostly physical in her company at the moment. But all of that to say the reason Heather is doing such an amazing job and so many people are behind her is because we live in a climate where if you're disabled in any way, you're not considered sexy Mm. or sexually active. This is why young people who have uh, a condition are not being taught about sex because it's assumed they won't be having any. Mm-hmm. This is why parents are assuming. So the reason I know this up close and personal is because I do work uh, alongside. So I wrote and deliver the training for uh, an organization called the Kimmel Foundation down in Wokingham in, in Berkshire, where we take uh, young people from 16 to 30. We give them personal development and then employability because people need to know about themselves before they can even consider themselves ready for work because mm-hmm. it is not all about CVs and application forms. Yeah. I go through everything with them. And that includes puberty. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I then see referrals from people who don't know what to do with someone, and they say, "Well, we we we've we've tried social workers, we've tried uh, support workers, we've tried counselling through our system, the NHS, the 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 publicly funded system. It is all mental health based. So twenty percent of our stuff is seen because it's not, in essence, a mental health condition. Mm-hmm. So eighty percent of us goes unseen. Wow. So there's a lot of Yeah, there's a lot of misunderstandings, and that is not Mm. sexy. We're seen as problematic, complex. Um, We're seen as not needing people. We're seen as unconfident. We're seen as antisocial. Why would those people be having sex, okay? And it's just not true. Um, Mm. So I know of this, again, because I'm running a smear test project in Gloucestershire, whereby Mm -hmm. we've got uh, five local doctor surgeries, making uh, smear tests or pap tests mm-hmm. more accessible to people who are neurodivergent. Incredible. That's an amazing initiative. You have so many side side projects going on. It's amazing. Well, you know what? You're, I'm 43, so you take everything that has ever pissed you off and turn it into a strand <laughs> of your business, and you have a busy business. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is great advice. I actually – well, I had an – I think it's a great way to run a business. I had an autism <laughs> advocate who took me to my smear or my, my pap mm. test uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago I actually had my first one when I hit 40 which wow, is super yeah. dangerous yeah it's super dangerous and I don't uh advocate that but I'm honest about it because uh I could really have missed the signs of cervical cancer they mm. would not have been picked up because I wasn't being looked at mm. um and actually what we did is we interviewed people uh about their their smear tests and we said have you had one do you know what they're for Mm. Uh, why would you not go? Why, you know, why does it bother you or not? Uh, and people had really preconceived ideas about mm. what a smear test is. Mm-hmm. Personally, I dissociate. I have bitten doctors. I've kicked doctors. I've screamed. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've screamed a hospital down before because I was constipated because I'm mm-hmm. so, so sensitive to pain. Mm-hmm. So I had an autism advocate come with me and she literally talked to me about stuff that she knows I care about because mm-hmm. she had done some support work with me and she kept me grounded and it wasn't the same as just having a chaperone. She got it. She just got it. And I felt human. I felt womanly. I didn't feel infantilized. The doctor was amazed actually mm. at what a difference it made. Wow, I think yeah. they were amazed to see someone who's together and confident and presents as not being autistic, whatever that means as screaming the place down because I couldn't stand the idea. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm completely comfortable with sex and everything, but to have a pap test is just like, literally like someone sticking their fingers down my throat. I just have mm. a gag reflex. Well, she sounds like an amazing woman, the um, woman who took you. Oh, she is amazing. And I really think that we need to roll health advocacy out um, nationally because it, we need bridge builders between GPs who tend to be by nature of the length and cost of their training and, and, and backgrounds you know, middle class, upper middle class. Then you've got them talking to people who are, they're they're in the medical model as well, whereas Mm -hmm. neurodiversity is born of the social model of disability. Mm. They speak a completely different language. I have very often sat in doctor surgeries translating for a sort of, I don't want to be a cliched, but I think you'll find the stats of working class GPs pretty Mm -hmm. low. Um, And literally translating between two native English speakers uh, who just don't get each other in terms of the way they're looking at medicine, the way that people remember the diagnoses, the way they need to hear the diagnoses, the sorts of meds which are recommended. It's There's a complete disconnect. Um, mm-hmm. 
And there's a lot of neurodivergent women and uh, neurodivergent people in general who are not seeing the doctor. When you think most of us have some sort of trauma that needs looking at, yeah. that's really worrying because then you can't get referrals for things like EMDR because you're not talking to anyone about the trauma. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then they're not trained in trauma, so they're making people repeat stuff, which is the worst thing you can do. Absolutely, um, yeah. So basically, when we were researching the pap test, uh, I say pap test because I'm aware that's uh, the American word, and here in the UK we say smear test. Um, mm-hmm. But I, we interviewed people, and uh, we had people saying, you know, some people live at home and their parents were around or whatever. Because, you know, when you have a disability, you, you lose the right to confidentiality, of course. Um, I've seen people. I've seen people yell that across a whole line of people waiting to get onto a plane. You know, mm-hmm. why are you getting on first? Oh, she's autistic. Oh, okay, she's autistic. Oh god, think, Jesus Christ! And you know, she's yeah. seven years old. That's all she's hearing about herself from perfect strangers. Um, yeah. And so people would say things like, "Why are you asking my daughter about smear tests? Like, obviously mm. she's not going to need one." Yeah. And it's really worrying and really naive and mm. a total infringement on that person's sort of civil liberties because mm-hmm. they're probably thinking, well, do you mind? I'm 23 and I was quite looking forward to a life of being sexually active. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> God. And, and how do we combat that? Is it, do you think it's just education or better education for the parents of autistic children or how do you, what's the best way that we can sort of combat that? The best way is that we have a real understanding in society, and this is why Heather Morrison of the formerly known as Handy Company, uh, mm-hmm. with their first ever disabled-led sex toy, that's um, just come out on the market. Wow. This is why we need... Uh, yeah, sex tech is a big deal at the moment, and we need more entrepreneurs who talk about the fact that uh, disabled people, people with conditions, have sex lives. Um it's super important. Um, it, I know a lot of people who are interested in going into that space, and I hope mm-hmm. that in the next 10 years that becomes a huge thing because how dare we take... You know, earlier I referred to sexual energy as our life force. How mm-hmm. dare we take that away from people 100%. because they have a health condition? God, that is so interesting. And you mentioned to me prior to the podcast that you yourself are bisexual. So how does exploring... Yeah. Um, one sexuality differ for neurodivergent people and and what was your experiences with this I have related to being bisexual since I was three um and I've always been very comfortable with it I have at various points had relationships with either sex and thought maybe I should just say I'm lesbian maybe I should just say I'm straight that is not the point we don't you know it's always about binaries isn't it we live in a society you've got to be one thing or the other you can't be as we see it both which is ridiculous Uh, (laughs) we're just being ourselves is the difference um so i think that being neurodivergent i've always been super relaxed about being bisexual in a way that might be disarming if you come from a background where you do see only binaries or you Mm -hmm. maybe have uh, some sort of religious input in your education Mm -hmm. and you know family attitudes are important um but if I'm honest with you I call myself bisexual I would say I'm probably pansexual but then at Mm -hmm. the same time I'm actually actively looking to date men okay Uh, I have dated women I'm in a period of my life now, but I still can't honestly call myself straight. Far from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I walk down the street, I'm going to find seven out of 10 women attractive and probably three out of 10 men. Mm-hmm. It might sound strange, therefore, that I would date guys more yeah. than girls, but I'm exclusively looking to date guys because, 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 
You know why? Because I think that men and women are mixed of masculine and feminine energies. Mm -hmm. And I like that when I'm with a guy, Mm -hmm. it brings out a lot of my feminine energy, which balances my natural masculine energy. I don't know what lesbians out there will make of me saying that. I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. something that is a no-no to say, but hell, it's my sexuality. I'll say what I want. Yeah. I mean, it's how you feel. And that's the thing. It's so different and so unique for everyone. So um, it is. So in terms of exploring uh, your sexuality as an autistic person, how did you think this differed for neurotypical people from neurotypical people? Sorry. I think that it's hard for everyone. And I know that I'm giving an interview about being neurodivergent, working mm-hmm. in neurodivergence. And that is only 16% of the population, which mm. is a sizable minority. But I'm aware that it can sound like only we have problems, only we have complex lives. Mm. And, and I don't mean it that way. But let's be clear, dating is a minefield for everybody. So true. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it, it is hard. (laughs) We all have insecurities that are brought up by getting close to someone. We all Mm. hate rejection. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all have difficulties showing up and and believing in ourselves. Mm -hmm. But for a neurodivergent person, I think that the difference is that we live in a society that is already built by uh built for neurotypicals built by a lot of the time neurotypicals mm-hmm. uh a lot what we have to remember as well i haven't mentioned yet is that neurodivergent people very often either don't know they're neurodivergent or they will be self-diagnosed because diagnoses of autism and adhd are known as diagnoses of privilege mm-hmm. um if you are from a, a working class background and you are basically relying on the NHS because it's, you know, 1500 quid to go and get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, you've got to wait two years or so to probably be told if you're a woman that you might not be neurodivergent mm. because the criteria are very uh, weighted towards young boys. You can see why a lot of us go hidden. A lot of us are late diagnosed. I only mm-hmm. got my autism diagnosis at 38. I'm now 43. Wow. And yet my first ever client was nine years ago and they were trying to kill themselves by throwing themselves off the roof of a mental health institution oh, and we God, both yeah. said that very day you are neurodivergent and then mm. they messaged me five six years later and said I've just been told I'm neurodivergent and I was like oh. you knew this yeah oh my <laughs> uh, God. it's you know yeah. yeah um quite quite horrific so imagine what mm. that does to people they've been through education they've already been weirdos at home they've been weirdos at school mm. they've been made redundant in inverted commas or fired various times through their employment or they've mm-hmm. not got employment at all they've mm. been isolated they've had divorces they've they've had abuse they've more than likely had some sort of domestic abuse eating disorders they've yeah. more than likely had trauma ptsd diagnoses mm. often been told they have bipolar or emotionally unstable personality disorder you put that together and then tell someone at the age of 53 actually it was autism yeah what the hell do you do then yeah and I guess it's sort of like exploring your sexuality I mean as you said it's a minefield for everyone but going through all of those things at the same time like I can't imagine how difficult and how challenging that is this is the thing because through the dating process what are you doing you're telling someone about yourself you're telling Mm -hmm. someone who you are what you stand for what you want Mm -hmm. how can you know any of those things with the great litany of stuff that I've just come out with how can you know do you know what I mean? If yeah. I mean, start if you're dating, start with who you are and what do you want. Well, I would say find me somebody who knows that. 
Mm. Yeah, and it, it's all based on labels as well, isn't it? So if you don't have a label yeah. for all those things you're feeling, how can you possibly articulate yeah. that to somebody, especially if it's somebody for, for bloody dating app or somebody that you don't even know, whereas you probably struggle yeah. to articulate it to the people that are closest to you? Uh, massively, mm. massively. People closest to you will generally take it for granted they know you better than anyone. They knew mm. you before labels. They knew you as you really are. Yeah. That has pluses and minuses. Um, there's a bit of entitlement that comes with knowing someone and being familiar with them in the sense that we tend to overlook glaringly obvious things that maybe their friends are more likely to see because they'll see them objectively, firstly, Mm -hmm. or more objectively. Um, and they'll see them outside the home where we're not regressing into our family roles. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's lots of things weighted against us. There's this very, you know how you go to the fun fair, you get the hall of mirrors and everything's Mm -hmm. a bit warpy and weird and you don't quite know if you're on solid ground. Like that is what it's like. Yeah. So communicating clearly who you are and what you want is made virtually impossible. And that's why we need patience and we need people to take time Mm. to get to know us because we are hard to get to know but my goodness it pays off in spades oh yeah absolutely and speaking of communication so I just want to quickly chat about support so what is your advice for how people can better learn about and use communication strategies for uh, autistic people communication is one of the favorite areas I work in in my coaching and therapy because we're very complicated, as I've said, and communicating that to the outside world, it does feel like you have to recruit your own special envoy to work (laughs) between your head and decode you for the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. It is exhausting, but self-advocacy is kind of like our health insurance policy. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I do a lot with people where we literally brainstorm. I do believe I'm one of those really annoying sunny Pollyanna type people (laughs) that believes they can brainstorm the way out of everything. But If you take something that is stressing you out, don't tell yourself, it's easy, why can't I do this? The definition Mm -hmm. of something that's easy is something you find easy. Mm -hmm. If you're having to beat yourself up and tell yourself something's easy, why can't I do this? Clearly there's something not going right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not easy (laughs) if it's not easy. (laughs) It is not easy if it's not easy. And this is where we've internalized a huge amount of ableism and also Mm. homogeneity. There's nothing to say something is easy or that it's hard. And there's nothing to say we should find something easy because the next person does. Mm -hmm. If, if If you come across something, whatever it is, Uh, I get people say to me, Sarah, I just got this email from a guy and uh, I don't know how to reply. I don't know what they mean because a lot of us have context blindness. Mm -hmm. I will shut down if I don't understand what someone means by something, but I don't want to be seen as, you know how sometimes girls, we get accused of, oh, you're always raking over stuff or why Mm -hmm. can't you just leave it? Why can't you just move on? Yeah. Well, I can't process it because I, yeah, oh my goodness, I hate that. Somehow it's okay to call someone an overthinker, yeah. but to say someone that, to, to say to someone they're shallow and underwhelming is really offensive. <laughs> and I have never understood this. Like, yeah. how is it okay to say to someone you're an overthinker when you can't say the opposite? It's just yeah. so weird to me. Oh my God, that um, is so true. They're literally direct opposite. You can say you're an overthinker, but if you, yeah, if you're shallow, then that's like completely wrong. Maybe it's How rude would that be? Yeah. Oh my God, that is so true. Um, I think something that um, 
has come out for me in this podcast and something that I've learned. Um, and I think it's really helped that you have been just so open and so honest throughout the whole podcast is just asking the questions. And that is the main thing about communication. If you don't know, then just ask. That is just what has yeah. really come out for me through this podcast. Yeah. And I think, as you said earlier, that's true of everybody because you know, we all put a face on. We don't mean to. And thank goodness mm. we do. Otherwise, we'd all be having panic attacks and screaming at each other day long. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I'm <laughs> often surprised with the amount of insecurities we all have that we all manage to get out of bed and function every day. That's and so some true. of us don't <laughs> at certain periods of our lives, you know. Yeah. But we have to have a front. We have to have ego to survive social life. But, yeah, there, there also has to be a limit at times. <laughs> But we have to ask questions that when you're a therapist, one of the biggest things that you can learn to do is ask the right questions and challenge the right things and listen to what's not being said. I must mm-hmm. admit, I'm not as good at doing that in my personal life as I am as a therapist. And it's easy to do it through a, like a, a non-subjective lens, like an objective lens. You can always help your friends with their problems. But when it comes to your own life, I feel like it's hard to look inward sometimes. It's very true. And neurodivergent people have this thing where we can do things for other people. We can't do things for ourselves. We can yeah. feed a family, but we won't eat. We can fill a form out for someone else, but we can't fill the form out. Mm. Um, yeah, that's we interesting. Ha- so I've mentioned a lot on the uh, sensory side of things, but mm-hmm. executive function, which includes emotional regulation, is a big thing for us. It, it mm-hmm. involves things like our working memory, our task initiation, our follow through, our completion. Um, it involves how we organize ourselves. Uh, mm. How we regulate our emotions is another minefield. So if you combine executive function, sensory stuff, and emotional regulation, plus the fact that we also have mental health issues, uh, because of not knowing who the hell we are and mm. being rejected so much. It's it's a lot to cope with. You know, mm. when you're on neurodivergent, you're often incredibly patient, incredibly resourceful. Mm-hmm. It's ironic that people with long-term health conditions are often seen as the sick one of the family, mm. the black sheep, the patient, the weak one, the yeah. one that brings everyone down. But that can often be, uh, if you look at things like family therapy, that can often be Uh, a scapegoating mechanism so that other members Mm -hmm. of the family and other dynamics get ignored and brushed over because the convenient sick one or or neurodivergent or different one is Mm. is the troublemaker. It's a deflection of other issues that are going on in that family. It is a very convenient deflection. Yeah. And then the person grows up thinking that they're the patient, the sick one, the weak one in society. If they're then on welfare or benefits, as we call it here, it's a a further impacting sign that you're the weak one, the sick one. Mm. And actually, ironically, we are often the resourceful one, the patient one, the diplomatic Mm -hmm. one, the one that really cares about people but isn't fake. The one that won't just pay lip service to people, but will give a compliment because we mean it. Like there's a lot of genuineness. There's a lot of depth. And probably a lot of support that's coming through that people may not um, shine a light on in in situations. Because as you said, it's an easy scapegoat to sort of, yeah, pass the blame on when really it could be more, you could be more of a support network in that family than people realize. Absolutely. You can be seen Mm. as an adult because, you Mm. know, I would sometimes I say to clients, it's funny how your family see you as the sick one and the weak one, but you're the one that does the childcare. You seem to be the family counselor. You're the one mm. that's lent everyone money that you've saved over the years. Mm. Um, you know, you're you're the one that um, has has you know done all these amazing things that you minimise because you're the weak one, and, and mm. it, it really does give a different light and slant on people. Um, and then I learned over the pandemic that I can 
pour all of that stuff into having a business and that's a far better <laughs> things far, far more fruitful avenue <laughs> what did you say things that piss you off you've got to like lean into them and make make them, and turn fruitful. them into a business <laughs> god there's such great advice yeah. um so my, my my final question is just for everyone listening what are the best resources for people to learn about neurodiv- neurodivergent relationships obviously apart from your business wired differently which i will link in the bio are there any other resources that you can suggest and i'll link all of this in the episode show notes yeah absolutely i think that on being online is really valuable i know a lot of people who are neurodivergent or their therapists who are seeing neurodivergent people and likely neurodivergent themselves they get a lot out of uh tiktok they get a lot Mm. out of instagram uh youtube videos ted talks Mm -hmm. i'm a real fan of scribed which is about 10 pounds a month and you get um, it's like a kindle unlimited for people who are really geeky about personal development psychology and business which is ideal yeah Mm. i love scribed um and i have a community of uh followers on linkedin which i love i mean literally i can be really like tired and not wanting to think about work and Mm -hmm. just being in my thing and maybe having a meltdown and you know just chilling out having a meltdown and I will actually (laughs) turn LinkedIn on because I feel healthy and accepted and like life is okay again because the diversity equity inclusion community on there um and the neurodiversity community on there is just wonderful it's super exciting if you want to see when neurodiversity is going it's great to be on LinkedIn right now yeah um amazing and, you know, neurodivergent people, we love online resources. It's a good job because there's absolutely sod all else out there for us. <laughs> so I think that's probably a good thing. Um, mm. And, uh, and yeah, find find your tribe, find your role models because role models mm-hmm. show you stuff's possible. That gives you hope. That lifts mental health issues. We definitely, definitely need a lot more role modeling going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we need... We need to just be honest. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I get a bit riled by so-called authenticity on on social media because Mm -hmm. it's another layer of of fakeness but Mm. you know (laughs) we're all trying desperately to be authentic and also protect our egos i get that we're all doing it it's more deflection isn't it (laughs) it is more deflection um Mm. and i think also you know the great thing about being neurodivergent is technically you can always be an expert because i think malcolm gladwell says a hundred thousand hours in in a subject technically makes you an expert and we are the world's best researchers. I mean, last night, my brain would not let me sleep until I'd done four hours research on the mm-hmm. niche perfume business. Wow. <laughs> like, is that I your next, your next I business? I know everything I need to know. That's- <laughs> <laughs> that is literally honestly reading about indie perfume uh, creators like oh i literally was awake until two o'clock this morning for i think i started researching that at nine o'clock last night and did wow. not look up <laughs> yeah so we're really good researchers so thank god because research helps us self-advocate i think also there's a lot of neurodiversity coaches out there now i would definitely choose one who is neurodivergent um a little bit like, you know, I, I like to go to a doctor that tells me about their mental health issues. I like mm-hmm. to go to a therapist that tells me they went into it because of stuff they'd had. I mm. like I like that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm 
somebody who will have a meltdown and post about it and then get people say, actually, could you be my coach? If I was working with neurotypicals, they'd be like, oh my God, who is this unstable woman? There's no way I want her to be my coach. But that's how neurodivergents think. We, mm. we like real and we like people who get us. And that does not, unfortunately, come from a textbook. Oh, Sarah, this has been incredible. And I think you are such a fantastic role model for uh, autistic people. And I hope that there is people out there listening to this that are going to feel inspired. And if you do want to read reach out, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I will put links to Wired differently in the show notes as well. So if you want to go and read more, you can do so there. But thank you so, so much for coming on and chatting about all of this with me. It's been so much fun and so interesting. Thank you. I'm very lucky that I can uh, think about things like this on difficult days, whereas a lot of people, if they're in a job that's not to do with neurodiversity, they can't do that. And I I like Mm. to speak on, on their behalf to an extent, but I would like a lot more people to have a voice. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my chat with the gorgeous Sarah. Please let me know on my Instagram. It's at madswell.mp3 or on my website, madswell.co, if you have any stories or thoughts or opinions of your own to share. Love and elbow taps. Peace. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey. It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.